Welcome, you're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Welcome back to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. I'm joined by Sarah, Paige, Katie, and Charlotte. Today we want to dive into content, because content is king. In episodes two and three, we dove into why experiences and engagements are the new queen. So today we're going to talk about how content continues to be king and how valuable content will always be essential for marketers. In this episode, we're going to cover why it's important to build a content marketing cycle, share eight steps to create an effective content marketing cycle of your own, and add tips and tricks to make the process easier. Now, before we dive in, let's share what wine we are all drinking today. I know for me, it's been a day so far, so I am drinking rosé to give me into that summer mood, and why not, because rosé all day. (laughs) I'm gonna build on that, Kelly, and say that I am still in my rosé mode, and I have a Chateau Grand Travers rosé. I believe it's the same one I've had for a while now. It's that summertime, so sticking to it. And the pregnant one over here has, (laughs) once again, an alcohol-free wine. Um, today I'm drinking the free alcohol removed Chardonnay. Pretty good so far. I do recommend. And I'm joining Katie, or not Katie, <laughs> Katie's drinking alcohol free wine, so <laughs> never mind, Kelly and Charlotte, and drinking a Francis Coppola rose. So the fun fact I have is that I use the Vivino app, it's like V I V I N O. And that helps me select better wines at the grocery store. It's this cool app you download and you get to scan the label and it gives you a rating from users of the community. So I picked this wine because it hit a 4.0 on the scale. And typically I don't drink under a 3.7. So kind of bougie like that. Little (laughs) wine (laughs) Yeah, but it helps you get better wines for lower cost, right? Because this was probably only like a $10 bottle, but it's really good. And I'm the oddball of the group. I'm actually not drinking any summer wines. I'm going to my go-to here, and it's called the Carnivore. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, and it is clearly one of mine and my husband's favorite drink. It's kind of like a deeper, like plums and chocolates are in it, so it's a very thick one. So it's more of a dessert, you know, like with steak. It's it's perfection. So I love a good glass or two of this one for sure. That sounds so good. I just want to add real quick, when Katie said that she recommends her her free wine where there's no actually alcohol in it, she did actually let us all taste that one. And it does taste like wine. So I'm going to also say, sure, even whether if you're pregnant or not, if you want to just have a glass without maybe the booze, go with Katie's wine. Does it still have the calories, though? Like the calories without the booze? Is that worth it? Honestly, I have no idea. I'll I'll look it up and have an update later in the episode. (laughs) Calories don't count when you're drinking. What are you talking about? But you're not truly drinking. If there's no alcohol, then you're not actually drinking. (laughs) It's the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. Mm, That is a good point. 
It It'd be really hard to go nine months without it. I mean, you're the only one that's gone through that at this point, so. It's technically 10 months, guys. Ah. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nine months thing is a lie. <laughs> like, it's like full, full, <laughs> full nine months. Like, people think, oh, you get to the nine months? No, it's like through the nine months. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's a long time, Katie. Kudos. Well done. Well, I think that's probably time for us to move off of the wine and start talking about content because that's, I think that's why people are here listening. Maybe they're here for the wine. Um, either way, maybe both. But so why is it important for you to build a content marketing cycle? For us, it's definitely become one of the most effective tools for our marketing team as a whole. Creating content is something that tends to take a lot of time and a lot of energy. It also takes a large variety of skill sets to complete because there's the whole writing piece, there's the finding the stories, it's the engagement piece, it's how is it going to be helpful and valuable, how does it translate to other areas of the business in terms of webinars and other lead gen strategies. And then there's also a design element because whenever people are viewing things, how do you make sure it's nice and digestible and people are, it's pleasing to look at and that people want to read it or look at it. So once you've built a process, the content can be used endlessly. Blog posts, it can be speaking proposals, which can lead into conference sessions and webinars. You get the idea. So the hard part is, where do you get started? If you're not a great writer, sometimes it's something that can be very uncomfortable for you or very daunting. If you're not a video expert, which I will say none of us are, none of us here are. It is videos have been like the bane of our existence on this marketing team. We can dive into that in a whole nother episode, but not a huge fan of creating animated videos. They're great and they can be very effective and they're a good thing to do, but they have proven to be a challenge for us. We haven't quite figured that one out yet. And then the other piece is what if you're not a great presenter? Webinars can be tough. Face-to-face -face videos can be tough. So the way we're approaching this today is we're making the assumption that you already know and understand your audience and that you also understand the type of content that would be valuable to them. So if you don't know that, then that's where you'll want to start. We'll do an episode on that later on. So if you're not quite to that point, we can definitely walk you through how to get there and what that would look like. But today we're going to cover the actual marketing content cycle. So what's our process? We'll share eight steps that we've identified to help build a content marketing cycle that can have endless possibilities for your team. It doesn't really matter if you're B2B or B2C, these steps pretty much apply across the board. And in our experience, they're pretty effective. Charlotte, I just wanted to build on that, that this process has been years in the making. So we're hoping to help you sh shortcut your own process. And just to let you know, ours is still evolving every day, and it's okay if your initial content process evolves and changes as you grow and build your team. I would say that's actually one of the most important parts of this is that it does take time. So if you can take just one or two of the steps and start working on that and building that out, then I think you'll start to find some traction and be able to make some progress. It definitely takes a while to build out a full cycle and don't expect it to happen overnight. That's definitely not the case. Right, and I think that we've touched on before how Sarah and I work in different markets. We both do very similar things, but we just have these different things that we call verticals. And her content cycle is much more robust than mine since that wasn't the 
true focus for us when I came into my role. So we can talk about how Sarah has a super robust cycle, and then maybe we can touch on mine a little bit later and how it's very similar, but it's a little bit smaller. So this cycle can look a little bit different depending on what's important for your team to focus on. I think that's true, Katie. One of the things or the first step in the way that we really got started was doing I will call them interviews, but I think in the beginning, we really called them podcasts. They never really saw the light of day, but we did get them transcribed. So initially we had someone do an interview with someone in our industry and our target market and then record them. From there, we had those interviews transcribed. I don't know if you guys are familiar with transcription, but it has literally been a lifesaver as far as creating content because you can have word for word, verbatim, created or typed up. And from there, either you or your content writer can pull snippets out of it and create things like blog posts and whatever else. Interviews really give you a good foundation to start with. And the content from interviews tends to flow more naturally and authentically. I think people are much better when they talk versus when they write. At least it seems like it comes a lot more from the heart Obviously, you can tell when we're speaking here, we have a lot of ums and likes, but I think it's as we're talking, we're trying to process our thoughts and put it together in a coherent manner. And it comes a lot more from the heart and a lot more straightforward than if we were to just write this out for you. And then you can take those nuggets that you get from an interview and turn them into multiple blog posts, pull out quotes, use stats and facts, and you can kind of link to other things as you go. So I think something good to call out as we talk about the interviews, our process is fairly simple. We find somebody in the industry that's done something cool or innovative or something that's produced amazing results. We ask them for a short 15 minute interview. That's really all it needs to be. You identify a couple key questions that you want to ask. However, you find that once you kind of get into the interview, people just start to go. Like Sarah said, it's authentic. They just start to kind of flow and share their thoughts and they get on a roll. And you will wanna share with them how the interview will be used, just so they're aware of where the content might go, what the intent is for it. Often you'll wanna include that in your ask to them just to give them some perspective on, like before they even accept the offer to, uh, to, to interview with you. And then definitely let them review anything before you publish it, because you want to make sure that these people are comfortable with it and it's their reputation and it's how they're being portrayed. So you want to be really respectful of that. So I wanted to ask, I'm not really in the weeds like you guys are for the content cycle. So how do you guys contact them? Do you guys just reach out on LinkedIn? Did you meet them at a conference? I was kind of curious if you guys wanted to uh, dive in on those details a little bit. I think it's evolved a little bit over time, Paige. So initially, for me, it was really hard. I started reaching out to people, but I didn't know them very well. And then throughout time, we've met people at events and through the community that we built. So through webinars and then live events. And those people, I know they've become a part of our community, which has made it a lot easier for them to, for us to reach out to them. And then as we've grown our like audience, the webinar base has grown. And a lot of times we'll have people chatting in for our webinars or doing like idea swaps and we get ideas from there. So like they'll share a little nugget 
on something that they've been doing at their organization. So then we'll follow up and reach out to them to better understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. And that kind of leads to the interview. So typically it's easier if you have like a little nugget you can grasp onto, like an idea or a story, and then you can kind of reach out to them for more details from there. And the other thing is too, you can get creative with who you decide to interview. So for example, Katie and I just interviewed a partner in the space. They're not a, they're not necessarily a prospect or target organization or anything of that nature, but they're a partner that we work really closely with. And he's a super smart guy with a lot of really good ideas. So we said, well, let's just have a conversation with him and record it. And then we'll be able to take that and turn that into a blog post and ultimately a webinar and all of the other you know channels and distribution that come with it. So that kind of makes me think about our recording process and we use something called rev.com. Sarah, I'm actually gonna let you elaborate a little bit more on this because you're the one that's a little bit closer to it. But I think this has kind of been a game changer for us in terms of how we transcribe because they're super, super fast. And I think they're relatively cheap. Yeah, typically to record, we either use Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And then once you get that recording, you can upload it to a transcription platform like rev.com. I have used other ones. Rev is awesome. You can either pay for like a robot transcription, which does like word for word verbatim. And I think that's like 99 cents. It's 100% accurate. Like you'll see parts where maybe instead of Chardonnay, it got Chardonnay. Like it, it gets a little confused with what you're saying. But when you have a person transcriber, which I think is like a dollar something a minute, I would have to look that up. They're very accurate. And they're. I think we get the transcripts back within... I mean, it's less than 24 hours. Katie, you use them now too. Um, oh yeah, it's less than 24 hours for sure. And they are able to segment out the different speakers. And most of the time they can pick up on the name of each of the speakers. So it's organized pretty well too when you get it. It's cool because you can also upload like a glossary of words. So if there's certain words you use all the time or terms that might not be in everyone's vocabulary, that can help them with their accuracy, as well as the speaker names. You can pre-upload those before they even get started so they have a better idea on who's talking. And you can even add speaker attributes. So if they're looking at a video of your speaker, they could have a better idea of who's talking. And there's also a really cool part about rev.com where you can just upload a link to YouTube. So if you connect like a YouTube account, it can pull videos that you've already uploaded. So as far as I'm concerned, it's like very well integrated. Now we do get our podcast transcribed and because we don't have all the money in the world yet, <laughs> we've been using, I've been using Descript, like D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T. And it's like more robot transcription. So that's where you can see when we have little fumbles in our words, it kind of picks up strange words that you're like, clearly that person didn't say that. But for <laughs> it was free, I think, for the first 300 minutes. And then it was only charging us like $10 a month um, if you did the yearly plan or $14. So that's like a little bit more if you're on a budget, whereas like the rev.com can cost you somewhere in the like 80 to 9 dollar range it's depending on how many minutes you have right so most of our webinars are in the 60 to 70 minute range something to add on that since we're talking about just content in general 
Rev does has does have the ability to if you provide them a video file, they will transcribe the video and they'll also upload the subtitles and the captions so that as somebody speaks, you have those captions there. The closed caption, I think is what they call it. Oh. And that way, if you post a video to LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, those uh, those platforms automatically have your video on silent. So that way you it's easier to capture somebody and read along with it and you don't have to rely on them having their audio on to be able to for them to engage with your with your video or content. There's one more thing with Rev. They now have like a Rev voice recorder and memos. So if you were just interviewing someone on the fly, you could actually use that to have it transcribe as you're talking to someone, I believe. I haven't used that part yet, but I think it's a newer feature that they have evolved. Go whip it out on your phone at events, Sarah, and be like, hey, can you tell me about this? Like, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I will say though, and not to praise them so much, but we did use a different company and they took days to get back to us, which, I mean, we're not moving at like the speed of light, so it's okay. But to have the recording back in a few hours was, I don't know, it was kind of life changing. And I didn't have to email back and forth with an account manager. This is something where you create an account, you upload the thing and you can download it directly from rev.com, which secretly as a millennial, I appreciated not having to interact with another person. <laughs> Bad, isn't it? So we promised you some of our scrappy tips. This is one of our tips. So we don't have a huge budget, but we found a way to do some pretty cool things. Oh yeah, Descript, even though it's not 100% accurate, gives you the recording in minutes, which is kind of awesome. Really fast. Maybe I should become a transcriptionist. I get kind of excited about it. <laughs> you nerd. Sarah's new side hustle to join the start like a transcription business. I was looking into it as a side hustle. <laughs> Maybe that's a good time for us to pivot and say what our next step is once you have your transcription in place. So after you have your transcription, you can do a lot of different things with it. Typically, the next step is having it made into some blog posts. And we are not professional content writers. We do have a few different content writers that we hire via freelance. That's one of the ways we've learned how to scale our team and how to leverage some external resources to save us some time. So we have a couple different writers that we use and we'll just send them the transcription and say, hey, here's this interview that we did the other day. Let me know how many blog posts you think you can get out of it. I'm thinking maybe we can get three and then they just run with it. It's really awesome. That takes a lot of lift off of our shoulders for sure. Being the person that essentially when you guys have the blog post done and send it over to me, I'm the one that uploads it to the website. So we've kind of learned that the shorter the blog post is kind of the better route because it's more of those micro moments that people are searching for now. No one's gonna to wanna to scroll. We've learned people just do not scroll all the way to the bottom. So if you want to have a longer a longer blog post, that's great, but I would suggest almost splitting it up into two different parts. We tend to do that a lot and we're able to fill our blog and make it more useful to people searching for things. To build off of that page, I was gonna say that we've tried to limit our blog post to about 500 to 1,000 words. Once it starts getting over 1,000, I feel like things are just lost on people, right? Like to your point, they aren't gonna scroll. And even if you have really valid points, I think you lose people's attention. They probably have that like 
five, maybe 10 minute mark for reading, but 10 minutes might even be too much at this point. And I was gonna say to build off of Katie's that if you don't have an awesome content writer, you can always use something like Upwork. That's where you can hire freelancers on the fly. And obviously you can also fire them very quickly on the fly if they're not working out. So it's a good way to do like test projects and just to see if they fit the bill and what you're looking for. And then we have an awesome content writer that might be looking for more work. So if you guys are looking for someone, reach out to us. It's whiteboards at gmail.com if you want to send us an email or drop us a line or a comment on our Instagram, and we'll be happy to get back with you on that. One thing I actually want to say, Sarah, is when you're talking about the word count, one of the things that there's nothing wrong with is breaking a blog post into multiple posts. There's no, there's nothing wrong with having a series that can allow you to dive deeper into specific areas of a story or an interview or a concept versus having to try to cram it all into one. It also extends your content and make it la makes it last longer and it helps you recycle it because now instead of one post, you have four. And that can really take you a long way. So I highly recommend looking at that approach if your blog posts start to get really long. Paige, correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't I sent you some WordPress plugins that allow you to tell the reader how long a blog post is going to take for them to read? Like, I think putting that up front and letting people know this is like a five minute post or this is a 10 minute post just gives them that like expectation of how much time they're going to sink into reading it. And I think it makes for a more enjoyable experience overall. Yeah, those definitely are available. Most of them are free and um, we're still trying to find the right one because we have a couple different Our Our website is pretty complex, so some of them weren't suiting us quite right, but we're still searching. But it, like Sarah said, it is actually really nice to know how long you're going to be in for. And if you can break it up into sections, have those subheaders that are going to be able to be like, oh, okay, I'm only interested in this section. You can jump down to that and that's it. And you can kind of build from those sections even and elaborate on that in other blog posts too. The other thing you can do is turn it into a white paper. So if you have a really good blog series, then it might make sense to make it into a white paper. So you can combine them all and fit them together to build it out and make something that's complete from beginning to end. Or you can do it vice versa. If you somehow started with a white paper or like a research study that you've built, you can then break that down into separate blog posts. So I think our content cycle can go either way. You can start with the big overall piece and break it down, or you can start with little pieces and build it up into one big picture thing. But I think it's just important to remember that you can do it either way and each piece can blend into the other. And for those more analytical personalities who might be listening, we're on step 2.5, technically, of our of our process here. Um, we cheated a little bit and said that white papers are kind of a blend of things. So it got 2.5 instead of its full number. And blog posts were step two. Um, and that takes us to step three, which are webinars. Webinars are definitely a bread and butter distribution channel for us. We use all of the content we create for blog posts to develop our webinars. It helps us really craft our webinar outlines because the content's already structured. There was already a content writer who took the time to break out the themes and key takeaways and really put that together in an organized manner, which helps creating that outline for your webinar and makes it much, much easier. But one of the first 
things we do when we're approached and like if someone like asks us to do a webinar or if we're just thinking further into the future, what we do is we go back and look, we actually go to our own blog and we look at our recent blog posts and they're like, hmm, what have we done recently that we can do or what blog posts have we done recently that we can make into this webinar? It's all part of our philosophy. That's one of our favorites of working smarter, not harder. I feel like there's so many people that think like, oh, one of my industry partners is approaching me to do a webinar. Like I have to come up with like this new topic and build out this like whole robust like presentation. No, <laughs> you might have to, but first I would go back and look at what you already have and what can be repurposed so that you don't have to start at square one every single time. And not only look at what you have on your blog post, but actually if you have some data behind some of your things, WordPress has a lot of really good integrations that we use. One of them is called Crazy Egg. We do data analytics. There's a bunch. So we go through and we actually see what's the most viewed blog post and what the most viewed categories are. So we kind of know what topics to maybe focus on and make sure that it actually is resonated to the audience that we're going to speak to. So, and bringing us back to the webinar piece, the analytics posts are critical because it really helps you identify what content is going to have the most value to turn into a webinar. And then when you have that content and you can kind of plug and play with a structure or a process, it makes it that much easier. We personally have a preferred structure for our webinars. We really like to structure them the same and then plug in the information as it makes sense. We really take an approach of introducing a concept. First and foremost, you want people to understand what you're talking about, why you're talking about something and why it's valuable. And then you want to provide people an example or a story that highlights that concept in real life. And then after you highlight that example, you really want to dive into some of the key takeaways that somebody can walk away from to implement into their real world and their job so that they get actionable mission to make their life easier. And creating that structure is actually really helpful when you create a PowerPoint template, because I mean, most people create PowerPoints for their webinars and we created a template essentially that we can kind of reuse and recycle from one to the next. So we have that structure, it's already built out. We can just, you know, plug in the new content and then we go from there. So that saved us a lot of time. We kind of learned on the fly. I think it maybe took us a year to, to kind of grasp that, but definitely a tip right there. Yeah, I know I love taking what Paige already built for us and then just reusing and repurposing. I was working on a webinar today and one of my favorite things was being able to call out tips because I think that's what a lot of people are, they come to your webinar for tips and tricks, right? Like they want to know the tools that you're using. And so I feel like if you don't tell them what you're using or the cool things you found that you're doing them an injustice right and they just need to walk away with that like one or two nuggets of what they can use or start using tomorrow as we like to say and as far as webinars ours live on our resources as part of our website they kind of integrate with our blog posts um, because they're all kind of one in the same we probably haven't done as good of a job at this as i'd like but ideally the when the webinar is recorded and posted, the description would then link to a blog post or multiple blog posts that have to do with that webinar, right? Sometimes I haven't been the best at going back and doing that, but ideally that's like the next level where we'd love to get to. For sure, internal linking is actually really important when it comes to your website's data. I was gonna say 
a lot of people like to digest information differently. So having video and blog posts are important so that someone can listen or watch a video or they can they can read. So offering multiple sources is always a good key. And I think one of the things I want to highlight here is if you haven't already noticed, one of the cool things about this content process is it can kind of work in sequence or it can kind of take a different path. So for example, if you got asked to do a webinar by an industry or somebody else, you can do that webinar and then you could turn that into blog posts by transcribing it. So the process also works backwards, which is kind of cool because it gives you flexibility. So no matter where you are in terms of your content process, guarantee you have some sort of blog post or some sort of webinar or video or something that you have done that you can then insert into the process and then go from there. So you don't have to go in the sequence. And I think, I think this highlights that. I also think that's a perfect segue. Like you said, Charlotte, you can have those different types. You can highlight different types by having our step four, which is email campaigns. We actually create blog digests. So we kind of highlight the newest posts that we've done or the most viewed, that kind of thing. We also have webinar promotions to make sure people are registering and seeing what the new topic is of the month. So those are things that you can try and use that you've already built and kind of highlight and send it out to your, your audience. To build on Blog Digest page, they've come a long way in the last few years. When we initially started sending our Blog Digest, we had three articles that we included. After a while, based on our analytics, we realized that people were only really clicking on the first article. And I think people, like our attention spans have been dwindling, right? I think they're at like a couple of seconds at this point, maybe only a second. It's smaller than a goldfish, I know. So we started, we revamped our blog digest and we include only one article now, but we do include a personal note from either me or from Katie that adds that like personality back to your email campaigns. And it kind of gives them, it helps tie back in why they should care and what they should be getting out of it. And then it links to the blog digest, which to Paige's point, there's always internal linking on the blog post that leads you to a different article should they be interested and want to dive in a little bit deeper. But I think it's just keeping things very focused these days has really served us well. I think one of the things, so Katie mentioned earlier on about how the how Sarah's market is a little bit further along in the content process than maybe the market that Katie serves and focuses on. But this is a great time to highlight how we've started to leverage the process that we've created in one market and are carrying it over to another. So the blog digest is something that we just started doing in the market that Katie is serving. And we modeled it after what we've done in Sarah's market. And in addition to that, we've even taken some of the blog posts that we've created and said, okay, since these markets are similar, can we convert or tweak this content to be applicable for this market? instead of starting from scratch and saying, we have to start all over because it's a different audience or what have you, we were able to take what we had already created, make it applicable, and then turn it into a blog digest. So even though we may have bypassed a couple steps, it saved us time and enabled us to stretch our content and take it even further, even across markets, which is pretty cool. And I think, at least in my market, Charlotte, we swung very educational, right? Like our blog digest went very educational, like our sales approach was very educational, which is cool, but that pendulum went like probably way too far to the educational side. 
And we're kind of at the moment where we're trying to bring it back. So we've been creating some different demo campaigns and we've been using our resources and our content as hooks to catch people's attention and add value. So we created a white paper. We actually didn't do blog posts first. We just created the flat out white paper and then Paige actually went back and divided it into blog posts. So there was that purpose, like that repurposing of content. But from that white paper, we were able to use that content in our cold sales outreach. And so we've done several campaigns where we've used the info from the white paper and it's actually been really successful. It's been one of our most successful campaigns that we've had because we kind of hook some, someone with this educational approach, but it's a true pain point and challenge that they have. And it's something that we're able to solve. So it kind of, you have to have those different steps in there. So I think that brings us to something that translates to something Kelly's working on regarding training and building out a more on-demand process and saying, how do we communicate that through email channels? So me being the newest member of the team, I'm new to the email campaign format of going on here. Sarah and Katie both work individually with different verticals. Now I work with all of the verticals across the board, but just a little bit different than what they do. So the email campaigns aspect from my point of view has really been a game changer for me where I can get these short little emails out highlighting a certain feature and then it brings them back to like my actual training platform where everything is available to them. So I don't wanna lose them by providing too much information. I'm just highlighting little pieces here and there um, to really catch their attention and then have them dive into further where they can find more information out. But also it saves me a lot of time because I can repurpose these over and over again, year after year by just making small little tweaks for you know certain things and certain clients and things like that. And also it's kind of fun to note that you call them micro moments. So we actually brainstormed the name of these so that it kind of made sense. Essentially, you're trying to do like those micro moments so it's small digestible information that people can get and learn pretty quickly. I know this is, we're talking about email campaigns and so this goes back a little bit to blog digest, but we're working on incorporating what our company does into our blog digest. Like that's like taking our content cycle to the next level is trying to figure out how do we incorporate what we do as a company and the problems and the pain points that we solve and building that back into our blog post. It's something we're kind of exploring and we'll obviously keep you posted as we figure it out. That might be a good segue for of how we're trying to integrate our, our almost sales process into our education. And we could kind of go into step five of speaking submissions. So if you're gonna do an event where you have a speaking submission, how do you break it out and make it easy for people to digest in person? So if you're involved in events, at some point in time, you've most likely had to submit a speaking submission or a proposal where you've had to make your case about why your topic should be chosen and why it's valuable to the audience at that specific conference, whether it's in person or virtual these days. And we have found that if you go through your blog posts or your webinars, you can often find content that you can repurpose in those speaking submissions. Because when you think about your email campaigns, you have to put out there into the world your webinar that you're hosting. You have to have people register, which means you had a title, which means you had a description, which means you had a speaker. All of those things carry over into those speaking proposals. And you can just repurpose that and submit it. And I mean, if it's been successful in the past, hopefully it'll carry forward into the future and have applicability. And it's just a really good way to work smarter, not harder, 
and save yourself some time and not have to recreate or reinvent the wheel and come up with something completely new. I was going to say again, Charlotte, I think we've done this backwards before too, where we've submitted something for a speaking proposal, created it, and then turned it into a webinar and then blog posts. So we've created the presentation, which I think is the harder part to do, but then turned it, we've had it recorded, transcribed, turned it into a webinar, and then blog posts. And I wouldn't suggest doing that it that way, but we've definitely done it and it's been successful as well. So. It's just a lot more upfront work. And I wouldn't worry too much about repurposing like this, or like worry about like overlapping audiences. Like the chances of like the people that attend your webinars being the exact same people that are attending the event you're going to six months from now. I mean, there, you might have a few overlapping, but they might be willing to sit through it again if your webinar was super helpful, like depending on what the topic was. And usually companies only send like a handful of people to their events. So I feel like I've asked myself that question, like, oh, we already have like presented on this like once or twice. Do I really want to like do a webinar on it? But I, it always ends up doing well. So I wouldn't worry too much about that if you're trying, if you're asking yourself that question right now. So there might be a time where specifically in the world of consulting or if you tend to do a lot of speaking, sometimes writing blog posts can be daunting or using your your content in different ways. So maybe this would be a good place for you to start your content cycle is if you speak and then turn it into blog posts, get it transcribed, use that content and then repurpose it in your webinars. So depending on your profession or where maybe you focus your time and how you, you know make your money, uh, this could be a really good process for consultants. We've kind of touched on this, but it almost works where our steps two through, what is it, five, could almost be their own way. Like this, we gave an ideal structure, but you could kind of flip-flop them back and forth. Like it just works for you and whatever you kind of are in the moment. Maybe that's something we can share with our listeners. Maybe we can make a few like sample, not like schedules, but like your our content cycle might look like this for you but or our content cycle might look like this but yours may look like this we can probably come up with a few different examples that we can share with you guys yeah for sure so maybe taking it to the next distribution channel or medium if you will after you've created all of this amazing content whether you talked about it at a conference whether it's in a blog post or a webinar or what have you you can distribute all of this on your social posts or your social channels. So you can take out specific quotes. That's one of my favorite pieces of having it built out and transcribed is you can actually pull out very specific quotes from people, which is a powerful thing um, to incorporate. And then you can also highlight those tips and tricks and takeaways. We talked about how we're very big on those and how we really enjoy and we find it valuable to provide people very specific actions that they can take that they can do tomorrow. And then to build off that, Charlotte, besides doing quotes, I mean, when you're first getting started, you can just take out sentences from the blog posts and post those. Like I know we've had a few different people as like interns and career development days that they don't know where to start when they're looking at blog posts and how to put it on social, but you don't have to be the most creative person. You can just take what's already in the blog post and share a sentence from that. In which case you can share it multiple times over and over again. Just because you shared it once doesn't mean that someone saw it and you can share the different tips and tricks from it multiple times. I think I'm guilty of 
forgetting to keep resharing the same content over and over again with the different components of the article. Social media is essentially what's driving people to your site when it comes to these things. Because not everyone's going to go to you, you know, your blog post straight as direct, direct traffic. They might have to get there through a search engine or social media. So make sure that you're sharing these things, like Sarah said, over and over, because the chances are that they saw it the first time are kind of slim, or they just didn't really click on it. The second time they see it, they might actually click and go to the site. So reuse and recycle on that and repost on social media is always a great, uh, great next step. Well, and I think it's important to find where your audience is. Like, don't just blindly post on social media. Like, we found for us, since we're so heavily B2B, that our community really lives on LinkedIn. And that's one of our primary places. And then for one of our other markets, the one that Katie serves, there those channels are different. It may not be LinkedIn. It's something else. And when you look at posting, if you only have one or two channels that work really strongly for you, pulling out those different key takeaways and mixing it up and posting the same thing over and over with a different headline can definitely, or a different caption, can be really effective. And there's some tools that you guys can use for scheduling these posts. We've used a couple, one's called Loomly. Another is called Planoli. I don't know if I'm actually saying that one correctly. We always debate this, but there's plenty out there that you can kind of, you add the, the graphic and you add your caption, you add your hashtags, if it's Instagram, whatever, and you're able to schedule it. And actually it makes it, the process a lot easier. It's a little daunting, like Charlotte can said, but once you build out a whole month, then you kind of let it go and you forget about it. So it's, it's a couple hours you invest and then it's already built. I actually just saw somebody post in one of the online communities that we kind of participate in and live in uh, the other day where they asked about a content calendar and we use Asana. So I just wanted to throw that out there, Paige, as you were talking about tools. We track all of our content and the dates that we plan on launching it or rolling it out or what have you in Asana. And that can be helpful as well. I'm sure there's plenty of other tools that are very similar like Trello and some other things, but that's the one we choose. And I was going to share, Paige, obviously you're an awesome graphic designer and you pick the perfect image every time, but you have some help in that, right? Like we use iStock for some imagery, which obviously we pay for, but there's also Canva, which allows you, they have a lot of templates and they have a lot of free imagery. You can pay for some of them, but I know for this podcast, we've been using Canva for a lot of things so that we didn't have to invest our own dollars quite as much or upfront. It also makes it easier for if you don't have Adobe. I work in Adobe solely, but the rest of the team aren't educated in that. So if they have to make a last minute edit, it's kind of difficult for them. So Canva has actually been really helpful for us so that they can be able to go in and edit any text or what have it, what have, what's the word? What have you? <laughs> what have you? So I actually went into our next step, which is video, but I'm going to leave the social step by saying if I had to go learn Adobe, I'm pretty sure I would just be screwed. Like I have zero desire to go learn it. So I'm really glad that Paige, you are our uh, aficionado in Adobe because it's not something I really have a desire to, to learn and jump into. It always looks so complicated. But our next step, which is step seven, if you're that analytical person who's counting us and keeping track, is video. So like I said before, video has been a little bit difficult for us, but you can definitely use it in some different ways and interesting ways. 
um, one of the ones I wanted to highlight was one of our sales brochures that we created that has actually withstood the test of time was turned into a video. We actually took the content from our sales brochure and turned it into an animated short video, which was kind of cool. And it definitely showed the fact that we repurposed. So I think you can look for different areas to repurpose your content and turn it into something more engaging and visual. And obviously I'm the designer of the group, but I'm not an animated videographer or anything. So we hire out, we use freelancers and contractors. In the past we've used Envato, that you have the ability to hire a freelancer. In this case, it was an animation artist and super simple. It's really easy to contact them. You kind of keep it all in the same structure. So like we kind of hinted at, it does take some time. So maybe in, make sure you leave yourself three to six months just to make sure you get it right. It shouldn't necessarily take this long, but we've kind of found in the past that it can at times. And it's a really nice way to keep it top of mind and make sure that it's um, applicable across the time because you don't necessarily want to have like ISOC imagery that gets outdated. So like those animation graphics can kind of live for like five plus years. And I know one of the other things we've tried, if you're not, maybe not an animation video expert, is just to use face-to-face -face videos to highlight tips and tricks that you can post on social media. So you can pull out some of the things that you've put in your blog post as a tip or a trick and create like 30 second to one to two minute videos of you just talking. And that only requires what your iPhone or your pixel or whatever you want to use to record it or even zoom. And then you can edit it down and add a little, like a few graphics to it and post that on social. I know we've used it for events as far as like first timer videos, but we've also been trying to work with some of our sponsors and partners for our events to create our own series. It's taken a little bit of time to get off the ground. We have topics picked out, but now it's like finding that time to record and having someone comfortable with having their face out there. I think I actually prefer the more face-to-face -face videos. Like they seem more authentic. And like, I understand the importance of like the animated videos, like they might look better on your website and things like that. But when it comes to social media, I feel like people are really looking for a face. Like, and then they associate your brand with being human. They're like, oh, a real person works there. We went to a whole digital summit last year I think it was actually called Digital Summit. And they were like, <laughs> is it, that was what it's called, right? Digital Summit? Yes. Um, so everything was about like how video is like so important and that's all people want to see now. And I wouldn't say it's all people want to see, but it is true. Like if you're scrolling through your social media feed, does a video more catch your eye or like a super long post that you have to click like see more to finish reading it? So I don't know, both are important. I personally prefer the more face-to-face -face videos and they're a lot easier, less time consuming and less expensive. Yes, but I think one of the most important things is if you're going to be doing a live video where you're showing your face and you're speaking and telling a story or, or elaborating on a topic, it's important to make sure that you're not reading off of a script where you're like, hello, we are going to talk about like, you need to make it authentic and real. You can't be a robot reading off of something where you just stare into the camera. Nobody actually does that. And that takes away from the authenticity. And I think that's really important. 
And Sarah actually mentioned a video that we did for one of our events where we did a first timer video that we sent in one of our promo emails to help attendees understand what to expect when they first came to the event. And I think one of the things I really liked about what we did was in the email, we didn't just link to the video, we actually took a screenshot of the thumbnail so that they would click on it so they could see that it was a video and they could see the little YouTube icon and know that and know who was on the video and that it was going to actually take them to a video instead of saying watch this video here and just link the words it made it a little bit more engaging and visual and I was also going to say maybe just start with face-to-face -face videos those are way cheaper I know Paige said like the animated videos can take a while, but they also can take a lot of money too. So if you're tight on cash and a budget, then start with the your iPhone or whatever phone you have and face-to-face -face videos and try that out. And from there, you can graduate to animated videos and get a little more specific or fancier along down the line. Okay, so for those of you at home who are keeping count here, we are on our final step here, step eight, which is workshops. So if you've had a lot of success with webinars, you can take it to the next level and host a workshop. So thank you, Kelly, for jumping into workshops. I think that's a really cool new newer thing that we've been doing where we found that since our webinars have been such a success, we said, well, how can we make this a little bit more hands-on and how can we really help people maybe design their own strategy or really dive deep into a topic and help people build some skill sets around that? So I was going to say that, Charlie, I think it's a good point. We've leveraged multiple webinars to build content for our workshop. So this is kind of like that final piece of it. And I think the workshops were our point where we realized we had to help people translate our concepts. Webinars are great, but our webinars are typically only an hour in length and they're more someone speaking at you. You have the ability to chat and do polls and things like that, but the workshops give you a longer period of time. Typically our workshops have been a half day event, so they've ranged from like three to four hours. And just in this last year, thanks to COVID, we did our first virtual workshop, which I think thanks to Zoom breakout rooms, we were able to do more successfully because we were able to put people into those smaller groupings than we've been able to do before. Um, typically our workshops involve small table discussions. And so the Zoom breakout rooms kind of emulated that in a virtual setting. And I think one of the other things that's really important to have with a workshop is a strong facilitator. That's also true of webinars, but definitely in a workshop, people get lost if you don't keep them on track and you don't have slides or some kind of cue to help them know what they're supposed to be doing and when. So actually, this is a really good point to maybe bring us like full circle, because I think one of the questions that Paige asked earlier was, where do you get the people for interviews or how do you ask for the interviews? Workshops are one of those perfect areas where people are sharing ideas and talking about things that they've done, different concepts they've tried or different tactics. And we kind of hone in on that and say, okay, who's doing something cool and what are we hearing? And then we go over to them or ask them based on what they've shared and say, hey, that's actually really and we haven't seen other people do that. Would you mind doing a quick conversation, having a quick conversation with us so that we can record it and capture that story so that we can share it with the broader industry and help them get to that point as well? 
a lot of times people don't even realize what they do is that cool or that innovative until they say it out loud and people are like, oh, how did you do that? So that's actually something that we kind of like ping, like we, we grab their attention and we're like, all right, we want to talk to you after this. And I don't think we have it listed here, but step nine is kind of events. So we put on our own virtual or our, well, it's going to be virtual this year, but our own summit. And we're now taking some of the cool ideas we heard in our recent virtual workshop, and we're going to go interview those people, turn them into blog posts, hopefully turn it into a session at our at our virtual event. So it kind of is coming full circle and it, it never really stops. I guess is part of my point. For sure. So then correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of our content from 2020 was driven from some things that happened at that event last year. So now we're really coming through like, I feel like I kind of think about it in like a year long cycle and it just never stops and it continues going. But I feel like that might sound overwhelming to some listeners, but it took us a long time to get here. Like Sarah mentioned, like it has not always been like this. And now it's to this point where we have this cycle and we have so much content. Like I think I heard Sarah say one time, we have so much content that like I don't know what to do with all of it. And um, it's really cool to be at this place where you can actually say that. So what we're hoping to accomplish today is help you guys all get to where we're at, but maybe it won't take you like three to five years to get there. Hopefully we can shorten that a little bit. Well, and maybe Katie, to that point, to provide a little bit of perspective, not only did it take us years to get to this point, but in addition, the conference that Sarah is talking about where we gathered a lot of this content, that took place in October. We are just now posting some of the blog posts that highlight that content because the content is still relevant because we captured stories that will continue to help people grow and learn and take next steps to implement new things. But we also had other content that had been backlogged to get out into the world. So it doesn't really matter how long it takes you if you have something that's time sensitive, like for example, when COVID hit, there was some very specific things that we wanted to roll out to the industry. So we prioritized that and we put our other things on hold. So now we're just now catching up and that's okay. When you have a cycle, you usually develop, you eventually develop a backlog where things are kind of waiting to go. And I think we probably have enough content at this point to have our blog post or our blog digests go for a really long time. Sarah, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that we could probably go for like two years at this point without creating new content. Yeah. I think one of our secret sauces is also creating evergreen content, right? Like besides the COVID pieces, which are very specific to this period in time, we don't try to create things that are only relevant to a very specific moment in time. Like we're not trying to report on news in our industry. We're trying to create things that are going to help people. And there's, I mean, regardless of whatever's happening in the world, there's always going to be events, whether they're in person or virtual. There's always going to be blog posts. And unless the internet goes down, we're always going to be able to create those things and post them. So just make sure that what you're creating and putting out there isn't relevant to only a specific point in time is super important to allowing you to create the cycle that goes year round. Kelly might hate me after this uh, 
after this podcast because all of a sudden all these ideas started going off in my head about training content and like all sorts of things and I'm like oh I can't wait to talk to Kelly afterwards because I have all sorts of ideas and whether they're relevant or whether they'll actually work or not is a whole nother story but they're ideas nonetheless so I feel like even us just having this conversation has been really helpful for me to actually think of some new things so one of the things that we wanted to cover before we dive into the next steps that you can take to really start kicking off your content process is the first thing that we covered and we keep going back to it and keep talking about it is that blog step is in creating those blog posts. So hiring a good copywriter, if you are not a strong writer, is a really good thing it can, and it can really propel you forward. And there's no shame in that. It's really the foundation of the content process. So ensuring that your blog posts are high quality and are offering value and are following a very structured approach sets you up for success through all these other content steps. And if you can, make sure you're hiring someone who knows your industry. I know that can really narrow your search or narrow your options, but we personally have found that that is key someone who understands you, understands the intricacies of the markets that, you're ser that you serve, um, can really set you up for success. You can definitely tell when you see a site that might not have the best content writer, but has great ideas. So I would definitely recommend that as well. And like none of us are content writers, we know that. That's why we hired someone outsourcing it. And we've definitely elevated our blog post because of it. Well, and I think it's important too, Paige, that like, just because you hire a content writer doesn't mean that the ideas aren't yours. The ideas can still be yours and they're just helping you communicate it and translate it in a way that people can understand and digest and that makes it easy to read. Because I think sometimes there's this perception that if you hire somebody that like it's your work, but really it's your ideas that kind of came out of your brain and they just help bring it to life and maybe add some additional sprinkles and cherries on top, right? And make it kind of button it up and make it look nice. But at the end of the day, it is your thought and ideas just being put on paper by a professional. And I think it's important to take it one step at a time. This can sound really overwhelming and we didn't have all these steps laid out in the beginning. So, I mean, the whole process did take us years to build. So start with getting the right content that adds value to your audience. Get comfortable with doing the interviews or hire someone who can do the interviews for you and then create the blog posts and then start to expand from there. Like keep it simple, stupid, right? Is the best word, kiss or whatever. Keep it simple just to start and then you can grow and expand because otherwise you're going to get overwhelmed and you'll never take any action. Well, and a really simple way to start too can be start jotting down a list of people that you think you can interview regarding topics that you want to talk about. Just start creating a list and saying, these are people who I would eventually want to be able to interview to get their perspective so that I can translate their or transcribe, not translate, transcribe so that you can pull content from. And then start looking for some really cool stories in the industry that you serve or unique things that people are doing and just reach out to them. It can't hurt. Um, and it can really start building that content price process and building that foundation. I think the final step too is to repurpose and recycle. Once you have those blog posts established, you can recycle it into those other channels like we just introduced, whether it's a webinar, workshop or whatnot. And then 
you can have a lot of legs when it comes to building these things. You can create multiple part series. You can have um, speaking submissions. There's just, it's endless possibilities when it comes to recycling these things. I think people would be really amazed at how much, how much runway you have with even just a three-part blog series. It can take you a really long ways and we definitely encourage you to try to stretch that as much as you possibly can. And we think you'll find some success. And if you have any questions, definitely let us know. We're happy to help and happy to provide our insight and things that we've learned if we didn't address it here. But that's probably a wrap for today, guys. Does anyone have anything else? No, content is yep. king. All right. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.